Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Uh, I'm honored today to welcome as our guest, uh, Brad Griffin. He's a senior director of content for the Fuller Youth Institute. He's also the co-author of over a dozen books. Uh, he's been an encouragement to me, both directly and indirectly. Brad, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Brad, how many children in your house? Whew, uh, we have three, okay. and they are 13, 16, and 19. So we're calling this our golden year of parenting. It's <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Boys, yep, girls, yep. what's what's the mix? Mm-hmm. Um, the oldest is a girl and is uh, in her second year of college. Okay. First year on campus. The second is a girl, junior in high school, and then my son is an eighth grader. Amazing. So you really do have yeah. people in all, all of these different respective critical turning point seasons. Yeah, it, it is really fun and we have to constantly stay on our game. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. Brad, for people who don't have any context, explain a little bit. What, what is the Fuller Youth Institute? Who are you? What do you do? We are a research and resourcing organization um, out of Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, which is where I live in California. Uh, And we equip diverse leaders and parents so faithful young people can change our world. So our whole mission really is around helping adults who have teenagers in their lives. And we want to, yeah, we want to help families do what they want to do, which is love and care for and support their kids. And teenagers are a mystery to most of us. So we we kind of get to nerd out on the research side, but also really think about the family side and the pastoral and, and ministry side of all of it. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Brad, there's some people who would say like, hey, kids are kids. They've been kids for a long time. Why, why, does, why does context-specific time-sensitive research matter? Teenagers are all different. And teenagers are also alike in a lot of ways. And, you know, what was interesting to us as people who kind of track with teenagers over time is we felt like we were starting to hear adults talk about teenagers today in ways that were kind of left over from the ways we talked about the millennial cohort and this new cohort of teenagers or Gen Z, while there's certainly been some writing and speculation and and whatever about them, um, we still felt like, especially from a faith perspective, we needed to just spend time listening to real teenagers and also get in there and look at some of the, the research. And, you know, we feel like this particular cohort is one of the most anxious and adaptive and diverse cohorts of teenagers in U.S. history. And I mean, we can unpack some of that more, but those are the words that kind of come to the surface for us as we begin to look at both what's out there about this generation and also what we heard from actual teenagers. That's great. Brad, I, a lot of parents that I'm running with these days, they, they sense the fact that the ground is shifting underneath them, that the world is, is evolving rapidly, and they just don't know that we have, that, that the tools that many of us have in our kit don't, don't seem to be a comprehensive set of tools that are helping us navigate every question. Tell us a little bit about the research behind the most recent book and, and why you're excited about the resource it provides. Yeah. 
You know, this research really began, I mean, a decade and a half ago, as we started to look at this question of why young people leave church and mm. what happens to those who stay connected with God, faith, and the church across the transition into adulthood. And that was the genesis of our, our sticky faith work, which really explored that question. Um, and then we took that kind of to the systemic level as we really studied churches and what is going right in churches who engage young people well, um, which was another kind of big project we call Growing Young. This project comes out of both of those. And it really looks at three core questions that every teenager is wrestling with. The question of who am I, question of identity, of where do I fit, the question of belonging, and what difference can I make, the question of purpose. And we really wanted to dig into those because we believe that if we can understand those questions that we can unlock a generation, but we can also unlock the mystery of the, the specific teenager in front of us. You know, like those three teenagers living in my home, in my family, the more I think through the lenses of identity, belonging, and purpose, the more I can understand the other questions that they're wrestling with. So that's really, you know, what led us to kind of drill in on these questions was this conviction that all the research seemed to be pointing us towards these three questions as the big questions that that live underneath the rest. I'm so grateful for this verbiage because I think that for many of us as parents, the temptation in the early years is just is just to keep keep them functional, right? Like to, we, 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 want, we want to keep, you know, when Survival. You bring a new, exactly. You bring a newborn home for the very first time and you, all you can think is like, do I have every safety device that money can buy that kind of keeps them, keeps them protected. And then I think that sometimes the temptation, especially in certain demographics is I want to make sure that my children have all the resources that they need to be successful, whether it's in the arts mm -hmm. or whether it's in sports or whether it's in academics. And, and I, I love the three big questions uh, that change every teenager book because it helps us drill down another layer to what kind of maybe the more pressing obvious needs. You know, sometimes we hear that question about like the, the tyranny of the urgent versus the important and the urgent is so easy to just get drowning in homework assignments and sports schedules and, and recitals and all that, that we, we don't create mental bandwidth or space to process some of these deeper soul questions that our kids are really wrestling with and through. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that. And I find that to be true in my family and in the families that I talk to that logistics kind of rule the day, you know? Right. I mean, what did I talk to as my kids were headed out the door this morning? You know, it was, did you grab your lunch? Did you, you know, do you have your soccer bag? Um, who's picking you up from school? I mean, you know, it's, it's these logistics questions and that's hard enough to stay on top of. And so to get a layer beneath that and have the space to listen to, to what's going on in my kid's life. And then to listen a layer below that as maybe what's going on beneath what's going on. Um, yeah. That takes a kind of intentional space that that we have to, to build in and kind of create you know, room for in our lives. Um, at the same time, it's what we're all longing for, you know? I mean, especially coming out of this season that we've been through and in, in some ways that that we're still in with so much uncertainty and disruption and what what we're all looking for is connection and to be understood and heard and um 
to know that we're okay. And I think for parents, you know, shifting into it, it's almost shifting into a different set of survival skills Yeah, where we really are helping our kids learn emotional resilience and relational resilience and the kind of resilience that they're going to need in order to, to not just make it through this kind of ongoing uncertain time, but also into an uncertain future, which, you know, by all means, it, it will be uncertain, maybe hopefully not in all the same ways that it's uncertain right at this moment, but, um, but uncertainty is going to chase our kids down for their lives. Um, yeah. We know that to be true as adults. And so I think it's a parenting skill that not a lot of us have, have trained in um, to, to build that sense of, of resilience through uncertainty. And I think it starts by really listening for what, um, what our kids are experiencing and what kind of questions they're asking right now. How have you and your family created space for those kind of primal questions to get asked and answered? This is, is pretty basic, okay. um, but re really uh, emphasizing eating meals together as much as we can. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, I think family dinners can certainly be idolized. Um, what I think is really important to capture is creating some kind of space for connection and some kind of space where um, we leave the rest of the world outside of this moment in this space. So at our dinner table, we really try to hold to, you know, a no devices policy that we our devices are somewhere else while we're here at this table. And, you know, certainly our family is in all different directions, like a lot of families. And we don't, I mean, one of the interesting things about pandemic life was we really were eating together every night at the table. And sure. that's not as true anymore. And we have to juggle a lot of different schedules, but those connection times, as much as we can have them, you know, some kind of space where we're just checking in, where we're asking about our days. And I'll say a practice connected with that, Steve, is that as parents, we make sure we're sharing about our lives and our days and the questions that we're, you know, wrestling with as well. Um, that our kids hear us, you know, on, some, on appropriate levels being vulnerable, um, that they hear us being real people with, with real lives and real frustrations. And I think that practice has been just grounding for us, um, you know, prioritizing some level of connection. I'll say too, you know, we, we also try to make space for play. We are not the best family at this, but I really think it's important creating these spaces for play, for laughter, for just some downtime mm -hmm. um, where we don't have to take ourselves too seriously. And we don't have to take um, all that we're wrestling with, you know, so seriously all the time. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of science behind the healing of laughter and play. And when I tap into that as a parent, it, it is restorative. Yeah. Right. That's so helpful. When, when you talk about these questions, especially for parents who feel like maybe adolescence has created 
some distance between them and the child that had been, you know, warm or cuddly or self-revelatory or accessible before, but whether it's honors classes or sports or dating or somebody, you know, gets a driver's license, which is a, which is a double-edged sword, right? Because we have, we have less car time to process things. For parents yeah. who, who, who are maybe starting to feel that kind of the catch in their throat or a little bit of panic, they're losing that connection with their kids. What recommendations do you have? Because the, the questions of the book are amazing, but I think some of us might, might misstep if we just try to, try to sit down you know, face-to-face over coffee and then force them out of nowhere if there has been, if we need to do some bridge building or recreate an on-ramp, if that makes any sense. It sure does. And, I'll, and you mentioned questions in the book. You know, we, we included over 300 questions in the book, and one of the goals there was to help parents to help increase our vocabulary and increase our our toolbox of questions to ask. I don't know about you, but I tend to ask the same handful of questions to my kids over and over and over. Right. <laughs> and that gets old for everybody, you know, and, sure. and it leads to not very satisfying answers because I'm asking not very good questions. And so, you know, even for us, for Kara and I as authors, we need that toolkit of new questions, of new ways to engage our kids. Um, and, you know, similarly to your point, we all in new seasons need to find new ways to connect with our kids. And that's going to look different with different kids. Some people in my family connect around baseball and tracking with the Dodger baseball season. And right. that is a particular, you know, thing to celebrate together or grieve together or laugh about together. And it, it becomes a connecting point. Um, right. You know, for each of my kids, it's something different. This is interesting too, because I think it's important between siblings. So two of my kids connect with one another around Marvel movies. And mm -hmm. it's an, it's like their thing, you know, just the two of them. And finding that thing can be really important. And it does look different from season to season. And so, I mean, you know, parents have found movies, movies are a good example because we have talked to parents who've said, you know, my kid won't open up about anything, but you know, if I take them to the movies, then they'll talk about that. Or, you know, we have this particular show we watch together and we kind of keep up on this show that creates a new conversation point. So, you know, those connection points don't even have to be deep. Right. Um, they can be surface. They can be something that's very straightforward. Um, you know, for some families, it's it's serving together in a particular kind of way, um, you know, or it's connected to, um, yeah, there, there are so many things that it can be connected to, but that we find some way that we're connecting, reconnecting, learning to connect with our kids in different seasons. I mean, I, I've talked to parents who've learned to play video games that they aren't particularly interested in, but it's an inroad to connecting with and learning about, you know, their kid and what their kid's interested in in that season. Yeah, and likewise, it could be a show that you as an adult might not have any particular aptitude for, <laughs> but, the, but that's the sacrifice that you make to, to connect. That's, if that's the only place where you could find common ground, then that's where we start. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I have, I, I have the rest of my life, however long that will be, to do all the things that I like to do, you know, or sure. that my wife and I like to do. <laughs> but this is a unique season to lean into what our kids are into. 
Uh, my, my son is into music. And one of the things that he did during the pandemic was he started creating music on his own. And it's, it's electronic dance music. It, I have no interest in that music. However, um, I have found myself listening to it with him and listening to his music that he's creating. And because it's a connection point, it's something he's excited about. It's something that is giving him energy in life. Yeah. And, you know, and that helped us leading into this school year to know that it was so important to advocate for him because he wanted to take a class at school that was a music production class. And, um, it, it required, you know, talking with his counselors and making a change in his schedule and doing something that honestly, we thought his other elective was the one we wanted him to take. Sure. But this was an elective that was really meaningful to him. And because we had paid attention and knew how important this was, we were able to, you know, ourselves make that shift. Uh, and then also to advocate with at school to say, hey, this is actually what he's really interested in. And those things, you know, they might seem small or silly to us on some level, but it can be a real game changer for a kid to know that they were heard and seen and that, you know, an adult acted on what they had heard and seen, especially when that adult is their parents. In this season when there's already more, you know, push away and right. there's more kind of a natural developmental tendency to want to create space from your parents. And we need to not be afraid of that. You know, we right. can't totally fight it, but we can also come alongside it and say, Hey, I am going to give you more space and I'm paying attention. You know, I'm paying attention and I'm here and I'm still listening. Right. And I think that can offer so much stability to our kids in, in a season of, of instability. I, that's so helpful. I, I know for me, sometimes on my, on my worst days, I can see that need for space, that need for autonomy as rejection. And I, I have to, I have to fight to figure out, okay, there's a different, I, I just have to find a new way to lean in because I think that sometimes the, the, the passive or the, the route of least resistance is, well, they're just going to go their way. Uh, I guess I'll go my way and we'll check in on each other at graduation and holidays. <laughs> and that's just, that's ultimately not, not what they're really asking for and not ultimately what we as parents truly desire. That's right. I mean, you know, we, we've heard, we've heard it say, you know, you've got to fight for the relationship. And that, that is so true in adolescence that we have to, we have to decide that we're going to give it energy and, and even to fight against our own tendency to believe when our teenagers brush it off, that that's something about us, you know, that that's something about our own failure. If we can normalize it while also keeping that door open, sure. um, you know, they may be actively pushing us away, but it doesn't mean that they actually need us to stay away. <laughs> that's a great line. Brad, talk a little bit about the, like, if you're going to give parents practical advice, what are a handful of questions that parents could use to start a conversation around any of those three topics, identity, belonging, and purpose. I think one of the best phrases we can always put in our back pocket uh, as parents is tell me more, hmm. tell me more. In fact, someone called those the three most loving words <laughs> um, because they invite curiosity, they invite detail, but what they also do is they help us 
press pause on our tendency to want to jump in mm -hmm. with either judgment or fixing or answering questions or you know giving information all the things that we can do so well as parents phrases like tell me more help create a bit of a pause mm -hmm. and so it's not even a question it's actually it's a response you know well tell me more about that especially when we come up against something that we want to ask a lot of questions about because maybe we don't understand it or maybe we fear it i think questions along those lines then that keep us open to make sure we're really hearing and understanding. So a question like, well, again, this isn't a proper question, but help me understand is another phrase. So there's some of those kind of general pieces. I think there's others that just invite curiosity um, where that maybe begin with a phrase like, I wonder, you know, I wonder, I wonder what it's been like lately to uh you know be back in school for eight hours a day you know or i wonder what it's been like to be on that new team i wonder how your friendships are going i wonder what lunch looks like these days who are you eating with what what are your lunch conversations like we can kind of open up and and extend our curiosity to our kids that we are interested in their actual lives we're interested in their experience of their lives and that can create a space for us to ask some of the more direct questions you know i like to be really direct and i have to remind myself that sometimes an indirect question is just way less threatening right we have to remember that our kids they can feel threatened by our directness and they can feel like we're constantly trying to to check in on them. So as another example, today, most of us as parents have access to our kids' grades sure. at school through some kind of online system. I think that is another one of those double-edged swords. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it can help parents feel like they're aware of you know, potential problems. But on the other hand, it feels to kids like intrusiveness. Um, you know, It feels like it creates more misunderstanding. You know, my own kids have said, I hate when you check in on my grades because I'm already looking, I know what's there. You know, the teachers may have left something out or, right. you know, I've, I've already addressed it. I mean, sure. we get these kinds of pushbacks. And, and if you bring something up, it's almost like an immediate, kids can feel like they're attacked. Sure. So what are some different inroads to ask about that? You know, like, I wonder what English class has been like lately, or how are you feeling about um, your English teacher? Um, you know, how'd you feel about that assignment that you turned in? Um, you know, there are other ways, or even just to say, hey, looking at this year or this next, you know, this next season, what's a good way for me to talk with you about your classes and your grades? What's helpful and what's unhelpful? about the way that I ask you um, about school. Even just giving them the opportunity to give us feedback could be a really powerful thing because, well, it's that word power. It empowers our kids. So anything that empowers them, you know, anything that can empower them to help be part of a decision or part of a process, that can also be a really helpful question. So I'll pause there. You asked me about questions and I could probably go on for hours, but those are a few that come to mind. 
No, I, lo- I love that you talked about empowerment. And there was one section in the book where you said sometimes as fixers or as people who have more life experience, our temptation is to say, well, just, just do this, just do this, just do this. It's not that hard. Just fill in the blank. Where in reality, sometimes the best gift is to ask a child. We've got a senior who's getting ready to start her college search journey. And I'm, I'm realizing that I, I'm always tempted to say, well, just do this. When in reality, one of the questions that you propose is what's your plan? What's your approach for taking yeah. the next step in this journey? And yeah, that's another that. really good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I love that one and I appreciate that one. I, I, another section that really resonated with me was when you're talking with your children about where you feel like your spiritual paths or core beliefs might start to diverge. So I think a lot of parents, sometimes our knee jerk is, is panic when our children start asking questions about doubt or depending on what the family kind of boundaries are, deciding maybe not to engage in family worship or they opt not to go to youth group. And sometimes there's, there's a grieving in that for certain parents. What tools have you found are helpful for moving the conversation forward in a way that's healthy rather than kind of panic that leads to greater division? Mm-hmm. It's a great example of where I think exploring for understanding is, you know, needs to be our first step where the presenting situation might be a kid who says, well, I'm not going to church. And I think especially those of us who, you know, we may have grown up with the answer of, you know, of course you're going to church. Like (laughs) that may be kind of our knee jerk reaction. Like, oh yes, you are. Right. Um, that kind of response or, you know, anything from that family of responses, it, it can just tend to be counterproductive. Right. Because what we actually want is, I mean, actually that's a good moment for us to step back and think about what we want. We want our kids to connect with church. We want our kids to connect with God, to know and follow Jesus. You know, we, we can think about what our own hopes and values that are there and what our fears are. You know, do we fear that our kids will walk away from God? So if we can think about that, then we can ask a different kind of question. Tell me more about what is, what's bothering you about church or, Mm. you know, I wonder what makes you not want to go. And, you know, that might lead to, that might lead to some more helpful information. Again, kind of a help me understand kind of approach. And then I think we can wonder about well, what would it look like if we try some things? So we could go the route of experimenting and encouraging like, well, what if you try, instead of this, we try that. Or what if you go to youth group, you know, that, wh- whatever it is that the, that the sure. kid is saying they don't want to do, that we give them some alternatives or some things to try or to say, what if, what if this, and then we'll talk about that as opposed to just kind of a flat no. Another route is a, is a relational route to wonder with them. I wonder if there's an adult at church you trust to talk to who you could kind of talk this out with, you know, you're not feeling very welcome at youth group. Who could we, who could we talk with about that? Or worship is kind of boring. I wonder if, you know, who could we talk to about that when it comes to doubts specifically, you know, if our kids are saying, I don't believe any of this anymore, or, you know, I'm not really sure I could be a Christian. I think it's really important for us to not freak out in that moment, <laughs> but to 
help affirm that questions are really part of the faith formation process and that doubting isn't necessarily a sign of losing faith. It's a sign of forming faith and that we can take those opportunities to affirm for our kids, even to say something like, I've had questions about my faith too, or I remember going through a season of doubting and here's what helped me. Here's a practice that's been really helpful for me, or it really helped me to talk with somebody or whatever kind of response we can give that helps to normalize that experience. You know, quite honestly, even to say to our kids, I think it's more honest to say to our kids, you know, yeah, I've had times when I felt like I didn't really want to go to church either. And Mm. here's why, you know, or here's what helped that kind of honesty can just open up more space for us to let it be a conversation. Right. Also to remind our kids and and maybe, you know, sometimes they don't want to go to church because they feel like they really aren't heard or seen or their voice doesn't matter there. So it can also be reinforcing, you know, Hey, the church needs you. And if there's things you don't like about the church that you want the church to change, if you walk away, the church isn't going to change. If we can figure out a way you can stay engaged, but have a voice, then maybe you could actually be part of change. Great. Thank you so much. Brad, any, any closing thoughts or encouragements that you would have for parents who are trying to either kind of go to a next level of authenticity with their teenagers or trying to jumpstart that conversation? You are the parent your kid needs. I think we all need that reminder. I need that reminder. <laughs> you know, I think God has put us in our kids' lives. God has put our kids in our lives, uh, not by accident, but because God wants to do something through those relationships. And to be reminded that we are enough of a parent you know, with these three questions, Steve, we have really tried to wrestle theologically with how we want young people to explore and journey towards Christ-centered answers. And when it comes to that question of who am I, that question of identity, we believe that every kid needs to know they're enough, that because of Jesus, they're enough, that because um, of God's grace, they're enough, that because they're made in God's image. And I think we need that own sense as parents that we too are enough and we are enough of a parent that, that our kids need, you know, that, um, that God has made us good enough to be the kind of parents who our kids need us to be in this season. That doesn't mean we don't need support. doesn't mean we sometimes don't need outside help, but it also means that, you know, we haven't been given an impossible job and that God certainly doesn't, doesn't want us to give up on ourselves. Even in the days when we feel like we really blow it as parents and and make big mistakes that we are the parent we're still the parent that our kids need and that we're not alone in it thanks so much brad i really appreciate that again the book is three big questions that change every teenager making the most of our conversations and connections you can find it online you can get it here in grand rapids at baker bookhouse and it's one that I've read. It's, it's formed and shaped Kelly and Mai's parenting. And I know it'll be an encouragement to the rest of you as well. So this has been Hope Through the Hard Stuff. Thanks, Brad, for joining us. And thanks to everyone who's listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it 
rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.